You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Luke 7. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series today. And I, I really, uh, I, I sort of negotiated in my mind kind of what to call this series. Um, this really is personally for me, personally. Like on a personal level, this is this message begins what I would what I would consider to be a testimony of my journey to understanding church. That's that, that's what this is. For the next three or four weeks, uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to speak to you not on what church personally means to me. I, I got that down a long time ago. I. If you knew my journey, you knew it began as a Roman Catholic altar boy. And then as an altar boy, God I transitioned into a, a church still with a lot of rules, a lot of do's and don'ts, a lot of, a lot of things that, you know, uh, were, were, were said, you know, you can't do this, you can do this. If you do this, you know, you're, we're better than everybody. I, I kind of grew up in that mentality, so very religious. I was always very religious even before I was saved, continued to be very religious after I was saved. And then... Started this church, you know, 25, 26 years ago. And it's just been a journey of, of learning. I, I don't regret any of it. I don't. I look back, even being a Roman Catholic altar boy. That was cool. What an experience. You ever been one? Oh, I'm telling you. Changed your life. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't regret that. It's my journey. I look at that as a way that God brought me to this place. And everything I am today is connected to what I was and where God's brought me from. And so... I'm here today to share with you not like personally what church means to me. Because, hey, I'm a church goer. I, I, I am like many of us who come to church with a, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, so don't take it like in a wrong, selfish way. But there are personal reasons why I come to church. I mean, selfish reasons to an extent. Like, you know, I, I, I want to be fed. I want to be fed. And I do, and I'm sure you do too. I, I, I want to worship. I, I, I've got maybe a class that I attend that I, 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 I want to fellowship. I mean, there's things that are in it for me. But that's not what we're talking about this morning because I feel as if that's something that probably we take way too far. And sometimes we get comfortable in our church identification being what's in it for me. And, and so we, we sit and we enjoy, then we get back in our car and life goes on. And honestly, the contribution we've made to church, apart from what we received that morning, is sometimes very small. And so what, what I want to talk about this morning is us. Not me, not even you, but us. As a faith family, as a church family, what is our ministry mindset? In fact, if I, if I didn't identify the, the, the series as our church DNA, which I thought was a much more cool way of saying it, and I, and I think there's, there's some depth to that, and it goes deeper to say it like that, because that's kind of the core of who we all are as individuals, our own personal DNA. What is our church's DNA? Or more practically, what is our ministry mindset? Again, we're not talking about us individually, but rather a ministry mindset of the membership of our church collectively, for example. When you came to church this morning, if you happen to walk through one of the, of the eight doors in this small lobby, you would have walked in 
And aside from meeting uh, a security person or uh, a welcoming guest or a, somebody giving you a bulletin and saying hello, the first introduction to our church would have been this. You would have seen that. You would have walked in and, and seen that. And it's, it's, it's cool and it's put in a way that is really nice and modern, but it's a word. At the end of the day, it's a word. And it says something that might be true and might not be true. What makes that word come alive is the church. The experience that people have when they come here. What is the significance of a word? Why would I show that picture and why, why would I emphasize a word? Well, because this morning I want to, to build a foundation of my message around, kind of around that word. The statement I want to make this morning about our church's DNA, the first message of, of a series of messages speaking about my journey as a Christian, my journey as a church member, even my journey as a 26-year pastor of one church. I'm understanding this, that gospel light should welcome without judgment. I'm learning that. I'm learning that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what uh, you look like, Gospelite is a place that will welcome you without judgment. Now, saying that that right there all, uh, automatically would, make, would have made me nervous <laughs> five years ago, ten years ago. I don't know that I could have said it a year ago. I think I believed it, but I really didn't know how to say it from a biblical perspective, because it sounds liberal, right? As I'm compromising churches, they don't care what you look like. They don't, you know, they don't care what you believe. They just want you. And so we get this, you know, and by the way, I say it like that because that's how Pharisees talk. Bless God. I'll tell you one thing for sure. Just walk out when you hear that. I'm telling you, it ain't going to be pretty. I don't know that, I mean, I think I believed that a year ago. I just didn't know how to articulate it like, and I probably still don't. <laughs> I may trip all, all over myself this morning. But, but I think I'm prepared this morning to calm your nerves. I think I'm prepared this morning at least to tell you, church, as your pastor, senior pastor, kind of where I'm at and to see if you're with me. And as you, you know, what I, one thing I have learned is that sermons don't end when I finish preaching. That, that, that's the worst case scenario. If all you do with this sermon is just intro to end and walk out and you're not going to get much out of it. It really comes after you dig deeper with your small group, with your wife, with your kids, with your children. It's really after you begin to pray and process and, and, and really study the scriptures and, 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 and look into the text. By the way, I, I made this statement this morning that gospel light welcomes without judgment, but let's define the terms. Because if the terms don't have something to do with scripture, then it's just my opinion, correct? But if I tell you to turn in your Bibles, how many of you love those words? Oh, you know what those words mean? Those words mean I'm in church. Because if they don't say turn in your Bibles, you're not in church. You're just at a gathering of people that are going to talk about something. Turn in your Bibles is important. That, that, that's... That is the basis for which I'm going to support the statement, gospel light welcomes without judgment. So you're at uh, Luke chapter 7. Before we go there, let's define the word welcome in our notes. 
receiving appreciatively the presence of another and communicating that to them. So when I see that word welcome, here's what it means. Here's what, it's, it's an action word. Here's what it means. It means I am going to make sure that everybody that comes to my church this morning is received appreciatively and I'm going to communicate, communicate that to them. This morning as, as best I could. I, I talked to as many people as I could and without, you know, being rude and, 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 and not, you know, saying, hey, I've got to go talk to more people. I mean, I did talk to others more than I talked to others. There were conversations that I had, but, but I got around and got to give some hugs and got to say I love you. And I got to say on numerous occasions at 9 o'clock and 1045, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. I, I received appreciatively the presence of those who came and I communicated that to them. Welcome's a beautiful word. It's an exciting word. It's a word that we look at and see, and it sounds nice and looks pretty in the foyer, but is it true? Then the word judgment. I said we welcome without judgment. The definition of the word judgment is a negative assessment of another person, and it's based upon a superficial sense of superiority. A negative assessment of someone else. <clears throat> Ultimately, what it means is, is that I am better than you. And I, I assess that situation. And so I have a negative assessment of someone who comes this morning based on something that I believe that maybe they don't believe or based on something I've done in my life that they have not yet done in their lives. And so, did you see them? Did you see what, they, did you see how they, did you hear about, did you know? Because I'm better. Now, I want to say this very kindly. That's death to church. That's death. The reason why the church I got saved in is not open is because of that. It doesn't even exist anymore. A church that had averaged 800 people don't even. A church that had 1,400 on big days is not even in existence. It's gone. It's disintegrated because of a negative assessment based upon another person's superficial sense of superiority, that we're better, that because we're Christians or Baptists or because we're this or because we're that, we're better. So let's lay a foundation in Scripture. And to do that, sometimes we have to look at previous Scriptures in the text. One of the most enjoyable things you'll do when you study Scripture is don't start where you want to start. <laughs> start several verses or even a chapter before you find the place you want to start because it makes where you start come alive because there's so much to what Jesus is teaching that is kind of a chronological type thing. I mean, God, God gives us chronological order to his teaching in scripture. And oftentimes we find it build. It just builds. I mean, you could be reading the gospels and like, man, this is getting good. This is getting, oh man, this is, this is incredible. That just happened. And now this is happening and it builds in the gospels. And so we find in Luke chapter 6, the scripture says in verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Now pay attention, for with the measure, here it is, this is the, this is the statement that that I want you to really meditate on. I mean, everything he said in this verse leads up to this statement. Here's why. Because with the measure that you use, 
with the judgment you use, with the, with whether or not you give or condemn or all of these things, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Is anybody as, con- is, as concerned about that as I am now? I am like really concerned about that. I really am. Because the way you measure other people, the harshness in which you measure them, the lack of grace, the lack of mercy. James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you know, honestly, I think I could just read some scripture and then just get silent. Because we've already sung, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. I mean, I already believe you probably don't need my thoughts. I'm going to throw a few in, but I mean, is, is, is that pretty clear? I mean, I get it. And I'm concerned about that. We all have a tendency. Eric Capace has a tendency to form superficial assessments of other people. I do. In my flesh, I have a tendency to do that based upon my mistaken notion of my own superiority. And so we continue to read and we find that scripture go, and I wish we had time to develop all this, but it talks about a tree and its fruit and how a a tree will bear fruit. And then it goes on to talk about building your house on a rock. And chapter seven starts these miracles. And it's just a chapter full of miracles. Jesus heals a centurion servant. He raises a widow's son. It's, It's miracle after miracle after miracle. And so after pastoring this church now for almost 26 years, one place, one spot, It's real easy for me to get comfortable and to feel as if, you know what, I'm just going to kind of finish my journey kind of where I'm at and I'm comfortable and, 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 you know, this is okay and we'll bring in a few and we'll lose a few and it'll be okay and somebody else can take it from there and I'm not that kind of guy. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And I personally think if we can get this and other messages in this series, if this can become the DNA of our church, if it should be, I don't think you could have enough seats to seat the people that would want to come to a church like this. I just think you'd have to have Saturday night services and multiple Sunday morning services. And who knows if we can understand and really get this. So number one, you ready? Here we go. First note, Jesus Christ welcomes all who come to him. Let's look at our scripture because we need to see it in the Bible. Jesus Christ welcomes all who come to him. Verse number 36 or 37. Uh, Let's see where I'm at. My glasses here. Oh, man. 36. There it is. Okay. See what I'm doing? That's when you know you're getting old and you got to do this. All right. Okay. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees, let's break it down real quick here. One of the Pharisees asked him. Now, I want to stop right there and just say this, that Jesus was not a huge fan of the Pharisees. Does anybody know that? This was not a huge fan. And one of the Pharisees is coming to Jesus here. The Pharisees were very legalistic. They were very harsh 
towards others. Very harsh. And Jesus said this about them. In Matthew 23 on the screen, he said, You blind guides, speaking of the Pharisees, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. You look all good on the outside, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus went on to say, you blind Pharisee. Not that they were literally blind and could not see. Oh, they could see. But all they could see was the outside. And so he said, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus speaks of these Pharisees. This man's coming to Jesus. This is what he thought of this man. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hey, Joe, bring me my phone. I got a text from somebody. I want to read this text to, my, to our church. This is really cool. I got this in between after the last service. All right, let, let's read this and I'll read you this text. So that's what Jesus thought of the Pharisees. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And Jesus, and he went into the Pharisee's house. Jesus loves everyone. Here's the text I got from a church member that heard the message at nine. As I was listening to your message, I was reminded of something I read from a book I'm reading by Tim Keller. The fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. Jesus did not hate anyone. He goes into this man's house. And actually it says, the Pharisee asks him to eat with him. I mean, that is a premeditated arrangement. I mean, he's, hey Jesus, would you like to come eat at my house? I mean, that's like you saying, hey preacher, would you like to come eat at my house? Yes. Yes, I would. Invite me, I'd come. <laughs> we'll figure it out. I love to eat. And I love invitations, and my wife likes to eat. You don't have to clean dishes. You have to, but I don't. It's a lot of fun. Hey, Jesus is going to a man's house, a Pharisee, a legalistic, a harsh person, someone who Jesus did not think very much of, but he loved him. And he's going into his house to eat at his house, and he reclines at his table. Just a little word about reclining at his table. Back then, uh, I, I think most of you probably knew they did not have central heat and air or window units, right? And so it could get very hot in their homes. And oftentimes they would not sit on stools at tables or, or on high seats because heat, what? Heat rises. And so the lower you are in a home, so they would recline. They would get a, oh, like a futon or a, a pillow type of a thing. And they would recline at the table. They'd get kind of at a low place so that it, would, it was cooler and more comfortable when you ate. And so Jesus is reclining at the table here. Behold, a woman of the city. It's getting interesting, isn't it? But before I go there, I want to I go there in just a moment. Let me stop there and make some statements about this first point so we can move to number two. And this is absolutely incredible. It really is. Because when you think about what's happening here in this passage of Scripture, as I read this, I want you to think with me for just a moment how incredible this is. And behold, a woman of the city. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't mean a woman from Chicago. Yeah, a woman from Hot Springs. Yeah, she can't. No, this is a woman of the streets. This is a woman of the world. This is a prostitute. 
I've only met one prostitute. I was approached in Hawaii. It's a funny story. I won't have time to tell it. We'll make it funny this morning. But I, I was approached by a prostitute to spend the night with her. She thought I was by myself. My wife was in a store. It freaked me out. <laughs> Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. A woman of the streets who was a prostitute. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flax of ointment. Again, we're not speaking about Mary and Martha and that story. That, that's another story. We're not speaking about a woman that lavished all over Jesus with her perfume. This is a prostitute who randomly walks uninvited into a house that Jesus is having dinner with someone at. And she hears about Jesus. She walks into the house. We welcome whoever wants to be here. Without judgment. I'm learning this. I'm reading this story and I'm, 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 I'm just meditating on each phrase and, and each statement. And I'm thinking, God, you are helping me to understand what church? This is not about me. This is about us. This is about welcome. What does that mean? Welcome. Only good people who look good on the outside. We don't care what you do on the inside because we don't talk about that because that makes us look bad. Welcome Baptist. Welcome independent fundamental Baptist. It's not even who we are anymore, but a lot of people would tell you they kind of thought that you had to wear dresses to come here. Welcome all those who wear dresses. Is that what we want that to say? Well, it's not going to say that, but is that what it appears to be? Now, now again, I've said more than I said in the first service because I always say more because the Holy Spirit gives me more. Plus, you're more awake than they are. And so I didn't say any of that, but I mean, that's the, isn't that true? I mean, what does that welcome sign say? Does it say we welcome without judgment? Everyone's welcome. The prostitute is welcome. The sinner is welcome. First of all, I am that prostitute. I'll teach you that in a minute. You may be shocked to hear that I'm a prostitute. The truth of the matter is I'm no better. So I am. Now, now pay attention here. How can we welcome without judgment? Well, the first thing we can do is... Think about times in our lives. I mean, like, I, I remember back when I was in seminary, and, and, and I was still in a very legalistic environment, but I, I never drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, it never made sense to me. I worked at Sears and Roebuck, and, and, and I worked with someone who practiced the gay lifestyle. And I'm very careful these days to label someone by their sin. Otherwise, you and I would have to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, Joe, my name's Liar. I'm a liar. I lie some. Hey, Joe, I, sometimes I have bad thoughts about women. I, that's who I am. We don't want to do that, but we want to call, label people because it's not our sin, so we can, we can label them. You have to be very careful about labeling people by their sin. God doesn't do that. I became, I don't know that I've ever really shared this because I, I probably would have been embarrassed to share this previously, but... He was one of my best friends in the department where I worked in, at Sears. He, I mean, I knew we were different. I, 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 I found out early on in our working relationship that, that uh, <clears throat> his sexual orientation. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was, 
odd at first, but he was such a nice guy. We would go to lunch often, just him and I. We'd sit and talk, and we'd talk about family, and he liked sports, and we'd talk about the Cubs, and, and, and he, he was just a really good guy. We, we, we were both salesmen on the same sales floor, and so we, we talked about how you know, we could become better salesmen for the company we worked for, and we, just, we took a lot of lunch breaks together and just connected. I told you this story not to give you some great happy ending that would impress you, but just to tell you that I found out that you know, I wasn't a lot different than him. I'm a sinner. And I welcomed him. And prayerfully, I had an impact on his life because of the fact that I welcomed him. How can we welcome without judgment? Maybe understand Isaiah 53, verse 6, that says, All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. All. That includes all of us. The way we can welcome without judgment is truly believing that we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Two references that have really helped me with this is, one is Proverbs 3 and verse 7 that says, Be not wise in your own eyes. What a, what a simple way of just, I mean... Do I need to break that down or is that pretty clear? Don't be wise in your own eyes. That's a very clever statement. It's a powerful statement. In other words, do not assess your own opinion or your opinion of others and, and superficially just always go to the default that you're right. Be careful about that. This one might even be more powerful. It's found in Philippians. It says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now think about that. But in lowliness of mind, let everyone think of everyone else as better. So you're better than me. It's pretty cool, isn't it? So when we come to a door, you go first because you're better than me. Go with that. So when I, when I'm, Going down Grand Avenue and somebody pulls in front of me, they, they have the right to. They're better than me. They didn't need to be in front of me. It's okay. Big deal. If we live our lives like that, that in lowliness of mind, it's, it's not about me first. It's that each esteem other as better than themselves. This is how we can welcome without judgment. So freeing to feel this way. So joyful. I'm telling you, I am so happy right now. I'm the happiest person on planet earth. I finally can love everyone and just believe that everyone is, 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 is created by God for a purpose and a plan. And I can welcome people and share the love of God with people and not be judgmental of people. Man, you talk about living a life that is freeing and joyful and exciting. Number two, religious hypocrites offer only selective welcome with judgment. Religious hypocrites offer selective welcome. They offer welcome, but just only to certain people. Look at verse 38 and 39, and you'll see it in the life of the Pharisee. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. This woman sees Jesus, and the first thing she does is what? She breaks down and cries. She not only cries, she weeps so profusely 
that it gets out of control quickly. When's the last time you just broke down and cried over your sin? Has anybody ever shed a tear over your sin? Here's a prostitute crying to the point. Look at it. Read it. It's so simple. She was standing behind him. She's weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. Folks, that's a lot of tears. It's getting out of control. In fact, it gets so crazy that then it goes on to say that she wipes his feet with the hair on his head. She freaks out. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she takes her hair and she begins to, she doesn't know what to grab. So she just takes her hair and, and she wipes his feet because of the tears. I mean, it's just like water pouring out of her eyes. And then it says that she, she's so out of control, she begins to kiss his feet. I wonder where those lips have been. I'm so, she was so overwhelmed with being in his presence. And then it says, she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Then look at the next verse. There's something here. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. I wonder what the Pharisee is going to say next. I want to read the statement the Pharisee makes. And you give me your thoughts in your heart and in your small group. Not out loud, please. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him. For she is a sinner. Now, this is wrong on so many levels. Probably the way it's wrong to the greatest degree is his assessment of himself. Because when he saw this woman, he should have said, I'm no better than she is. But instead, he saw himself as better than she was. All of us need to realize that that is me. I am that sinner. Different in specifics, but same in principle. All of us are fallen. All of us are in need of grace. All of us have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that is the basis upon which we can welcome everyone without judgment. Because we are no better than them. And someone may feel this morning, well, Pastor, where I disagree with you is I've never done that. I mean, come on. You know, okay, I'll give you that. All sin is the same and all sin is not the same. Strange way of saying it, isn't it? All sin is the same, but all sin is not the same. What do I mean by that? Well, some sins are more perverse and have greater consequences. True. But would you not also agree that all sins are the same in the sense that if it's not brought under the finished work of Christ on the cross, then that is enough for you or me to go to hell? Okay, so maybe some sins are more perverse. So maybe some sins have more consequences. But at the end of the day, if you die in your sin, you go to the same hell they do. So really, in a sense, yes, all sin is not the same, but all sin is the same. So we welcome without judgment. This is such an an incredible thought and a truth. And it's practiced right here in the word of God. And Jesus then tells this story as he looks at this man who now we know his name to be Simon. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 40. And Jesus answering said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. 
It goes on to say a certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So one owed, I mean, 500 is a lot more than 50. Would you not agree? So one owed a lot and one owed a little. I read one place where 500 denarii back then would have been two years wages and 50 would have been two months wages. Big difference. One probably had money he couldn't pay back. The other probably could have paid it back. And when they could not pay, both of them could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. And he asked Simon this question. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And I love this. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. He turns toward the woman, but he's not speaking to the woman. He turns to the woman, he looks at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. And he says to himself, if this man were, uh, excuse me, um, and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which would have been totally appropriate then. Culture would have been, had no problem with that. And from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Number three, forgiven sinners are broken over their own need of Christ's welcome. Forgiven sinners are broken over their own need of Christ's forgiveness. They are thinking so much about the fact that they need him that they're not really assessing others at all. They're not coming to church judging others because they already know they've got enough baggage of their own to deal with. Can I get an amen right there? They're not coming to church pointing their finger at others who might be worse than them. Well, I'm not as bad as she is. No, no. They know that but for the grace of God, that would be them. So we don't judge because we know we've got enough sin on our plates we're dealing with and trying to work. Every person is either a Pharisee who thinks they're better than Jesus or the sinful woman who knows they need his forgiveness. So the question really this morning is this, which one of those two are you? Which one of those two are you? Because every person here is either one of those two. I used to be the Pharisee. I did. I was that person. I'd like to think maybe, uh, you know, Maybe I didn't want to be. I think I knew I shouldn't be this way, but I was. I I think I never felt comfortable with it. But it bothered me that certain people wouldn't come back to church. It bothered me that some of the things that were said from this pulpit, whether it came from me or someone else, just really wasn't the DNA of this church. In fact, even now, many of you would say about our church back then, preacher, we were never really that way. And it's true, we really weren't. That's why we're not anymore. We came out because we were never really that. It's just all we knew. It's all we knew. We didn't really know anything. We thought, well, is there anything else out there? Well, we can't find out because that's wrong. Because we're right. And then we got out just a little bit and thought, well, they're right too. (laughs) We're not the only Christians in this world. And there's other people that love Jesus. And then you, you're like, this is so cool. And then the Pharisees start hating your guts. <laughs> and then you've got to love them because you can't hate anybody. And you love the Pharisees and you start kind of feeling sorry for them. 
So the DNA of our church begins with welcoming without judgment. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. This is not liberalism. This is not, boy, Brother Eric, sure compromised this morning. No, this is Brother Eric finally understands Scripture. That's what this is. This has nothing to do with me feeling as if some sin is allowed and some sin isn't. Listen, sin is sin. And my sin is wicked and your sin is wicked and others' sins are wicked. The issue is not, is sin wicked? Is sin damning us to hell without Jesus' blood covering those sins? The answer to that is yes. Someone comes and says, maybe, well, now come on, preacher. You got to judge sometimes. I mean, you know, everybody makes judgment at times. I mean, even scripture says that times we need to judge righteous judgment. And so with that said, let's close with this. What does don't judge mean? Because we say it, you know, don't judge, but what does that mean? Well, let's, let's cover it using a lot of scripture. Number one, don't judge means don't judge broadly. Don't judge broadly. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me give you the verse first of all. Here's the verse. It says that judgment begins at the house of God. 1 Peter 4, 17, judgment begins where? Right here. Judgment begins, let, let, can I give you a little private interpretation? If it gets, and, and this may be in your notes, if, if it gets farther, the farther it gets from your house, the less an opinion you're going to have about it. Let's break it down. The farther it gets from your small group, the farther it gets from your family. For instance, my family, my wife, our marriage, our kids, our issues, Hey, we're working on them. We got a lot of things going on. So guess what? We're probably not going to be too busy judging yours. Are you with me? You getting this? It's real simple, practical. Erica Pacey, 621 3rd Street, does not have a perfect home. Thanks for not saying amen right there because yours isn't either, right? That means we're doing good here. We're learning. Yeah, that's what I thought. That old preacher, he's got all kinds of issues and you don't. I know your home. And I, I know mine, and I know they're both. We both got things we're working through. We both got family out of church. We both got family members that are struggling, maybe kids that are struggling. I mean, we're in this thing together. Hey, judgment begins at my house. Don't judge broadly. The farther it gets away from your house, your small group, your church, your mirror, We see the moat in somebody else's eye and the beam is sticking out of ours. Didn't you see the beam when you looked in the mirror? It was there. It's like crazy looking. We don't see that though. Because we forget judgment begins at the house of God. It begins at our house. Number two, don't judge means never judge motives. Wow, this is huge. Never say this. Never say, I know why he, hey, I know why she, I know why they, never say that, never. Let's go to scripture. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You don't know, only God knows. So don't judge. You don't know. 
You don't know their motives. You don't know their heart. Oh, you can see the outside. And okay, you can make a judgment about where they got tattoos. Well, he's got an earring. Well, this, that, and the other. We don't, the stupid stuff we used to judge. It was crazy. Somebody could come in with a tattoo. We called him a gang member. Well, Scott, did you see that guy that came in with a tattoo? He beats his wife. Who told you? Well, he's got a tattoo. Hey, about a tattoo beats your wife. <laughs> the stupid stuff. It's a mix. It's pharisaical. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, there's so many things said in my religious upbringing that were judging motives. I mean, it, it was crazy because it was on the outside where man looks, but not the heart. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse thirty-one says, "But if we be, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we judged ourselves truly." How many are doing that? Because that's honestly the solution to this. What about Romans 14.10? This is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture about judgment. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. What are you so busy judging your brother for? You've got an appointment with God. You need to be making sure you're doing the right thing. Amen? And then number three, don't judge means never judge quickly. This is a big one. I've learned this. You don't have all the facts. Sometimes we just, out of the gates, we judge quickly. We don't know all the facts. We don't know what's going on. We're not... We don't, we don't know the, the story behind this or some of the things that are happening in that person's life or some of the things that have happened to that young lady or to that man. Or What about 1 Corinthians 4, 5? Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Don't judge before the time. God, God's... God's going to judge and God's going to reveal these things in his time. Don't be God. And then number four, don't judge means never judge harshly. Never judge harshly. Man, we were so harsh years ago. We were so harsh. And, and if I wasn't harsh, a lot of people would probably defend me on that one and say, preacher, you weren't ever harsh. But I had a lot of harsh people here and a lot of harsh people in the pulpit and a lot of harsh people that worked here. I mean, If I wasn't harsh, I sure allowed it. Judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Again, Luke 6, 38 on the screen. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then we come to this great moment in closing, and we're on time. Look at Luke chapter 7. Let's go back to the text. And he says to her, I love this. He looks at this woman, this prostitute, this woman of the streets, and he says in one full sweep, church, look at this, your sins are forgiven. Think about all the men she had been with. Think about all the places she had slept, all the things she had done, all the shame that she felt. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It's as if Jesus is saying, if she were a laptop, he would have just hit delete. 
If our sins were on a etch etch a sketch, he'd have just shook it. If our sins were written all over the sand of an ocean, he would have sent a big wave and wiped it all out. She was white as snow, forgiven, just like you and me when we got saved, forgiven. And then in, look at 49 in, in, in verse 50, just to finish the text. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he says to the woman, because salvation is by faith. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So here is the message in one sentence. And it's your last note. We become the judgmental Pharisee as we forget that we are the sinful We become the Pharisee when we forget that we are the sinful woman. In this story, we're the prostitute. That's who we are. Anybody want to be the Pharisee? Anybody want to take the Pharisee side? Oh, I want to be that Pharisee that's judging. Wow. You're in the wrong place now because our DNA is we welcome without judgment. We're all the sinful woman. Every one of us. That's who we are. And so we don't have to judge. And we don't have to be better than anybody else. And we don't have to feel as if we're better than anybody else. In fact, to all races in our church, the ground is level at the cross. And I wish I would have got an amen from everybody. Because that's the truth. To all sexual orientations attending our church, we need Christ's forgiveness too. We need Christ's forgiveness too. To all strata of society, to all strata, from the rich to the poor, you are welcome here without judgment. Wherever you live, whatever you've done, wherever you work, I want you to know we all have the same disease and it's called sin. We have found in Christ the same grace and the same forgiveness. This is our new ministry mindset. And honestly, I say this humbly and because I say this with a you're better than me. I really do. But if that's not what the church wants, then honestly, I, I would just rather go work at a rescue mission somewhere. Preaching a, preach at a jail somewhere. I don't want to pastor a church that doesn't believe that. I just, I just say it's been a good 26 year run. And I say that honestly with, I would humbly step down if this is not scripture. I stand corrected and I'll, I'll do something different. But I just believe this is true. And this is our church DNA. It's taken me 26 years to figure this out. I'm sorry. Just not that smart. I just didn't get it. I, I, it's okay. I mean, I'm not even mad at them. I, I needed to be that so I could become this. It's my journey. I can't change it. I'm not mad at anybody. It just took me a while to get it. So thanks for, thanks for going on this journey with me. Thanks for hanging in there. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just pray that 
everyone feels welcome this morning. Because it's not about your bank account, your clothing, your car, your past. It's not even about your present. It's about the fact that God loves us. Tonight, we're going to celebrate that magnificent love. Tonight, we're coming to the cross. And we're going to find the ground is level there. It's level. And we're all sinners saved by grace. No one better than anyone else. We're not pointing fingers anymore. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere. My shame is undone when his presence is manifested. So if you need to come and just pray and take a moment, thank God. If you need to come confess some things, if if you need the altar, if you need Jesus, if you need salvation, if you've never been saved, you know it. Brother Butch and I are here. We'd love to just talk to you about how you can receive Christ this morning. I pray that you have been impressed by Jesus this morning. He's the best. He's worthy of our, of our praise. And he, he can save anyone here today. Anyone. No matter what you've done. Father, I love you. I just ask you to bless this invitation. God, as we meet for just a few moments more in this place before we're dismissed, just have a time of response. Oh, God, help us not to be idle to be engaged in your spirit's direction for the next few moments. Draw sinners to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?